Chapters thirty one and thirty two of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty one. The Aloe That Blooms But Once. The Dean House family saw no more of Edmund Standon that night. He stayed in the study for about an hour and then let himself quietly out of the hall door and set off in the direction of Headingham some curious impulse of mind and heart led him to the scene of his lost happiness the shadowy old churchyard where he had lingered with his beloved in the summer evenings that were gone the wide stretching old yew which had so often been their trysting tree the garden hedge by which he had waited sometimes after dark for the stolen hand-clasp a few hasty words a promise of meeting to-morrow the moon was up and the countryside glorious in that solemn beauty which only moonlight can give the distant line of sea yonder which the lonely pedestrian saw from the hilltop looked silver-white against the dark of wood and moor edmund crossed that little copse adjoining the hillside meadow and the old chestnut-tree beneath which he and sylvia had met so often the past is eternal says schiller edmund felt that his past happiness must colour all his life to come never to be forgotten an ever-present regret a haunting shadow dividing him from all possibilities of joy he lingered a little beneath the wide boughs of the chestnut early to blossom early to fade like his own hopes had been the old tree the dead leaves fluttered slowly down about him as he stood there alone with his withered hopes poor leaves poor dreams he said to himself who would have thought in your spring tide that you bloomed but to decay it was ten o'clock when edmund entered the village and headingham was for the most part asleep the ripple of the brook that ran through the rustic street was the only sound in the place there were lights in the vicarage windows and lights in the schoolhouse lights gleaming from the two lattices he had watched so often he crossed the churchyard lingering a little by the tomb of the de Bossonies, as he had lingered under the chestnut here they two had parted with vows of eternal fidelity here he had left her sorrow-stricken fortune is a speedy consoler he said to himself bitterly he opened the loosely latched gate between the churchyard and the schoolmaster's garden and went in he wanted to see james carew to task him with having forced his daughter to this ill-assorted union to tell him in no gentle phrase his opinion of that act he knocked at the low door under the porch and it was opened promptly but not by james carew the person who opened it was a youngish man with sandy hair and spectacles is mr carew at home asked edmund wondering who this stranger might be mr carew left headingham six weeks ago answered the young man he gave up the situation of schoolmaster partly on account of declining health and partly because of his daughter having married sir aubrey Perriam. do you know where mr carew has gone not exactly sir i believe he went abroad somewhere in the south of france to spend the winter this seemed curious edmund fancied that sylvia's father would remain at headingham to profit by the barter of his daughter's peace yet it had been foolishness to expect to find him still a parish schoolmaster toiling for a pittance that would have been a sorry bargain which would have left him no better off than before he had doubtless hurried off to enjoy life remote from the scene of his iniquity edmund left the schoolhouse it had a changed look to him somehow as if it were but the dead corpse of the place he had once known the garden was strewed with faded leaves the dahlias and ragged chrysanthemums spoke of autumn and decay the perfume of the summer was fled 
scentless flowers bloomed coldly in the beds that once had been sweet with roses and carnations sweet peas and mignonette how shall i teach myself to forget her thought edmund as he walked homeward to begin common daily life again without the charm that had sweetened it he had been happy enough before he had met sylvia carew but now happiness seemed impossible without her mrs standon and esther were both agreeably surprised by edmund's manner next morning they had fancied that the gloom of this great sorrow would hang over him long would poison his life for years to come they had thought with fear and trembling how some perilous fever of mind and body might be the issue of his disappointment they were unspeakably relieved to find him in outward bearing almost the same as of old a little graver and more silent perhaps but manly cheerful thoughtful of others in a word edmund standon did not wear his heart upon his sleeve for dawes to peck at yet in his innermost heart he felt that all the best and brightest part of his life was ended the hopes and dreams that had made youth so fair a morning were dead for ever he nerved himself to face his grief and conquer it or at least rise superior to it but the grief was none the less intense because he bore it like a man he also felt it like a man to the core of his wounded heart he had a long serious talk with his mother the day after his return they walked up and down the broad gravel mall together in the cheerful autumn sunlight and spoke of many things but not a word of sylvia i think i shall go back to the continent mother and wander about for a year or two said edmund there's a great deal of europe that i should like to see romania hungary poland i might stop away as much as three years perhaps very well edmund said his mother in her firm yet gentle voice if it is really for your happiness that you should go i cannot say stop but i am getting old and i had hoped you would have been my friend and companion in declining life it seems hard that you must run away from me just when i need you most do you think it will be so much easier to get rid of your trouble in a foreign land that you can dig a deeper grave for sorrow in a strange soil you are right mother trees and hills and flowers and every wind and angle in the road remind me of what has been but they do not awaken memory that never sleeps never can sleep i dare say i should be just as wretched in germany if my going away would grieve you why i'll stop if it would grieve me edmund what have i to live for except you poor ellen and the children and esther they are very dear to me but they have always been secondary to you i gave you my whole heart edmund yet you would have disinherited me that was a desperate means to save you from a fatal step providence has interfered i shall never talk of disinheriting you any more if you knew how little i value money you would better understand how vain a threat that was fate has been on your side mother but i could have held my own against all the world i care less for money now and yet i feel that i can't lead an idle life the dawdling half-asleep and half-awake existence of a country squire won't do for me i should go out of my mind if you will not let me go abroad and roam from one place to another i must find some kind of employment my dear boy i only desire to see you happy i believe that mother the son answered tenderly and to be happy i must be occupied hard work is the best cure for my disease i'll go to monkhampton to-morrow morning see sanderson the manager and get him to take me into the bank 
i fancy i must have inherited some of my father's commercial capacity dear edmund there is so little occasion for you to do anything you will have as good an income as you can possibly desire i want employment mother not income if i were a heaven-born genius i should go up to london and read for the bar but i don't feel that i could wait seven years for my first brief i'd rather have a stool in the monkhampton bank and count the farmer's greasy notes i should feel that i was doing something ah edmund i look forward to the day when you will see things in a new light when a hope that i once fondly cherished may perhaps be realized what hope mother the hope of seeing you united to an amiable and worthy wife stop mother let that subject be a sealed book i shall never marry never is a long word edmund but life is not long you know what my favourite poet says our brief life forbids the indulgence of a distant hope what is to-day with me will be to-morrow if i thought that i should be miserable but i trust in the goodness of god my beloved son will not always be unhappy the leaves fall from yonder trees edmund but spring will bring new buds the heart of man has not the same happy facility for putting forth new shoots man's heart is like the aloe which blossoms once in a generation my dear edmund it is natural for you to feel as you do yes you shall take a situation at the bank you shall work as hard as you like only stay near me life is indeed too brief for the severance of a mother from her only son i will put my trust in providence and wait till the aloe blossoms again not this aloe mother it may grow into a good strong plant and be of some use in its generation but it shall put forth no second flower who shall answer for the heart only god and time answered the mother solemnly this conversation was not without a consoling effect upon edmund he went to the monkhampton bank next day and as it was only his caprice to seek employment and salary was not a matter of bread and cheese to him he was received by the manager with open arms mr sanderson was glad to pay honour to the representative of the founders of the bank he offered edmund a place immediately and a hundred and fifty pounds per annum to start with it seems absurd to talk to you of salary said mr sanderson grandly but a hundred and fifty pounds will give you an extra hunter in the course of the year or pay for your gloves you're very kind answered edmund but i don't want hunters or gloves i want employment and independence rather a curious business thought the manager when the applicant had retired i suppose he has had another shindy with the old lady they said that mother and son quarrelled about the schoolmaster's pretty daughter whom sir aubrey perriam was foolish enough to marry but what is the present row about i wonder the manager was surprised when mrs standon drove up to the door in her pony carriage to fetch her son after his first day at the bank still more surprised to see the mother's look of love as edmund joined her come to fetch her little boy home from day school said mr sanderson to himself then there has been no shindy after all and the young man means business thirty two a useless life is an early death lady perriam had been married three months two out of those three months she had spent at perriam place and it seemed to her that her existence as sir aubrey's wife was quite an old thing lady perriam sylvia lady perriam she repeated the title to herself wonderingly sometimes 
there was so small a difference between lady perriam and sylvia carew the same discontent the same unsatisfied yearnings gnawed sylvia's heart amidst the placid grandeurs of perriam place as in the village schoolhouse her ambition had been gratified beyond her wildest dream but its gratification had brought her so little for a short time just so long as novelty like the bloom upon a peach gave charm and beauty to her surroundings she had believed it all sufficient for content nay for happiness to be mistress of perriam place to be able to say my house my dressing-room my boudoir my gardens my servants to be waited upon by respectful attendants to have a carriage at her command and to be called my lady it was also very pleasant to have no rooms to clean no dinners to cook no cups and saucers or plates and dishes to wash after every meal in a word no daily routine of domestic labour these were all on the debit side of her ledger but on the other side the sum of her discontent swelled day by day novelty's brief bloom soon faded from perriam place the large empty rooms began to wear a dreary look nay at times when she had been long alone in the drawing-room there grew upon her a sense of some ghostly unseen presence lurking in the background of that spacious saloon she almost feared to look behind her chair lest she should see something what she had never imagined to herself sometimes she would glance nervously at one of those seven long windows half fearing to see a strange face looking in at her a face not of this earth perhaps the vicinity of so many dead periums in the little churchyard below the italian garden may have had something to do with this fancy this stately solitude seen from the outside would have seemed perfect to the girlish eyes of sylvia carew it was the life she would have asked for had some liberal fairy bade her choose her own destiny but how many of us would choose amiss were we permitted to select our own lot out of the urn of fate he who shakes the lots in the urn alone knows what is good for us that splendid life set round with worldly pomp was very dismal for sir aubrey perriam's young wife sweet though it was to be free from menial labour the days seemed long and empty without that sordid toil sylvia laid out a grand scheme for completing her education she would read the latin poets with the aid of grammar and lexicon she would improve her german unhappily schemes such as these are apt to break down where there is no one to supervise the studies or sympathize with the student sylvia had worked desperately at german during edmund standon's brief courtship so that she might read the books he admired and talk to him a little in that rugged language which has a force and power hardly found in more melodious tongues edmund had read schiller's ballads to her sometimes in their twilight dawdlings by streamlet or meadow and to please him by her progress she had worked assiduously and deemed the labour sweet now she yawned over the strong wine of that verse as if it had been the weakest milk and water of the wordsworthian school infinitely deluded wordsworth nor did horace's odes which had seemed full of grace and meaning when edmund declaimed and explained them now appear anything more than a string of nouns and adjectives ablative absolutes and gerundives worked into a distracting tangle she might have obtained some kind of assistance from mordred but whenever she ventured to appeal to that authority he meandered off into prosy criticism upon the bard and insisted on entertaining sylvia with a catalogue of editions his own understanding was too weak for a teacher he could only repeat what he had read thus after a month or so of systematic study lady perriam lost heart and only took up her books in a desultory manner sir aubrey gave her no encouragement to study 
he had the old-fashioned notion that a young woman should know how to make what his grandfather had called puddens and be great in the still-room if she hankered after higher accomplishments she should paint flowers and butterflies upon velvet or draw minute landscapes in pencil to the injury of her sight or paint feathers in the same minute style to adorn her friend's albums then to fill up the sum of her industrious days she might do tambour work or abraham and isaac in tent stitch as the last lady perriam but one had done a work of art which might be seen to this day in the bolingbroke chamber of blue stockings sir aubrey had a pious horror look at lady mary wortley montague he said when he dissuaded sylvia from the study of the latin poets she was vastly clever but hardly respectable even at her best and if the scandals of the period are to be believed not over clean for music vocal or instrumental sir aubrey cared not a jot he had bought a cottage piano at sylvia's request and it was permitted to stand in a corner by one of the fireplaces in the saloon where in his heart of hearts the baronet deemed it an eyesore he would ask sylvia to sing to him every evening in exactly the same courteous tone but he read the paper while she sang and was rarely aware of the subject of her minstrelsy yet he thanked her with an undeviating politeness when she closed the piano the monotony of life at Parium place was far beyond anything one could expect in a monastery those solemn abodes are subject to the intrusion of travellers the inspection of a vicar-general changes in administration even feast days fast days retreats an endless variety as compared with life at Parium, which was smooth and changeless as the bosom of a canal the well-trained servants prepared and set forth each day's meals in the same order the same stillness pervaded the stately mansion from day to day the endless ticking of the louis quatorze clock in the hall a clock whose lacquered case was emblazoned with all the quarterings of the periums seemed like a reminder of eternity always the same always the same said that solemn timepiece in sylvia's weary ear semperiadem semperiadem sir aubrey was never unkind to her but on the other hand he was not the indulgent husband she had expected him to be he was in no manner her slave but on the contrary expected and exacted perpetual obedience from her he was rather like a kind father than a doting husband he did not lavish his wealth upon her caprices and indeed rarely granted her requests though he always refused them with amiability one day she ventured to suggest that they might lead a gayer life than their present existence that perriam place would seem all the pleasanter if it were occasionally filled with visitors sir aubrey raised his eyebrows in placid astonishment my love are you not happy he asked sylvia sighed and replied that she was perfectly happy then why hazard our happiness by introducing a foreign element into our lives you have not been accustomed to a house full of visitors neither have i since we are both happy let us do our best to remain so thus spoke the voice of age and wisdom but youth's rebellious heart revolted against this sage decree tears of vexation started to sylvia's eyes i knew you lived here like a hermit while you were a bachelor she said people used to talk enough about it but i thought when you were married it would be different that you would entertain the county people as other rich men do and enjoy life a little i hope the prospect of entertaining the county people was not your sole inducement to become my wife answered sir aubrey with that air of offended dignity with which he armed himself at times as with a hauberk 
as to enjoying life i live my own life which is to my mind the highest enjoyment possible to humanity sylvia shrugged her shoulders and submitted she was obliged to submit had indeed discovered that life matrimonial was all submission sir aubrey was a kind but not an indulgent husband that enthusiasm which had led him to woo and wed a village schoolmaster's daughter had cooled a little now that she was his wife his own property to the end of his days it was not that he was in any manner disappointed or that his admiring affection for sylvia had grown cold he was perfectly satisfied with his lot supremely pleased with his fair young wife but he meant to live his own life and meant also that she should conform to that life and not seek strange pleasures and amusements which would inflict trouble and vexation as well as expense upon him the perium honeymoon had been a very quiet business the entresol in the faubourg st honore was not the palatial home which sylvia had supposed so great a man as sir aubrey would inhabit even in the land of the stranger sir aubrey had taken his bride to all the usual shows the louvre luxembourg the grand old churches the jardin des plantes the hotel cluny napoleon's mausoleum the fountains at versailles and the long terrace at st germain all these things sir aubrey had shown her but wonderful and beautiful as they seemed to the untravelled rustic a shadow of dullness hung over them all the numerous churches tired her before she had seen half of them the vast palaces with their endless pictures palled upon her weary senses sir aubrey with every wish to be kind instructive and explanatory always contrived to bring her away from the objects which most interested her he marched her from place to place there was no lounging no pleasant loitering no long sultry day dawdled away in that deep wood at st germain yet sylvia fancied that she and edmund might have so wasted a day had they too been bride and bridegroom sir aubrey took his wife to the théâtre francais on one solitary occasion to see moliere's femme savante but vetoed all other theatres as disreputable the weather was sultry during the greater part of sylvia's honeymoon and the wide streets of the wonderful city were dim with a warm vapour that whispered of fever and cholera sir aubrey's habits were early and the evening the only period when paris is tolerable in summer-time was a period of imprisonment for sylvia she was playing chess with her husband in the stifling little saloon by the light of a pair of wax candles while the city was gay with many voices and music and light yonder on the boulevards where the night wind blew freshly and when people who knew how to make the best of life were eating ices at the rustic cafe in the cascade in the bois sylvia went back to england with the impression that paris was a splendid city but not a gay one they returned to Parium place and sylvia received the homage and obeisance of the household and in the moment of that triumph it seemed to her an all-sufficing joy to be mistress of Parium and all these dependents whatever surprise these domestics had felt at their lord's strange marriage had been carefully smoothed out of their faces they welcomed james carew's daughter as respectfully as they would have welcomed lady guinevere herself those improvements and alterations which sylvia had planned with so much satisfaction before her marriage were not yet put in hand indeed a very short space of married life had shown lady perriam how little power she had over her lord and how little liberty of action she was likely to enjoy and perhaps even worse than this how small was to be her command of money she knew that her husband had wealth that exceeded his expenditure by tenfold yet she derived neither pleasure nor power from his riches he looked unutterable surprise the first time she asked him for money 
my dear child what can you want with money he asked as if they had been on a desert island where the circulating medium was useless i-i should like a little to spend sylvia answered childishly she had not forgotten that wretched woman in bell alley fetter lane tenderness of heart was not sylvia's strong point yet it hurt her to live amidst all these solid splendours satiated with temporal comforts and to feel that in all likelihood her mother was starving to spend for the mere pleasure of spending said sir aubrey like a wise father one of dear maria edgeworth's model parents for instance remonstrating with his little girl my dear sylvia is not that rather a childish reason but i didn't mean to say that of course i want the money or i shouldn't have asked you for it i thought you would give me an allowance perhaps when we were married i have thought of that replied sir aubrey as if it were a matter demanding profound consideration and i intend to do so ultimately but really your wants must be infinitesimal you have the dresses and other garments you bought before our marriage the dresses are getting shabby said sylvia i wore them all the time we were in paris a month said sir aubrey i have worn this coat nearly eighteen months then it's time you had a new one cried sylvia sorely tried but i'll go on wearing my shabby dresses if you like it doesn't much matter i never see any one except you and mordred i hope you have sufficient respect for me to dress as nicely to please me as you would to win the admiration of strangers returned sir aubrey with his offended air i can't dress nicely without money to buy clothes replied sylvia women's dresses are not like men's coats they don't wear everlastingly then it's a pity women do not adopt more substantial materials neither the linsey woolseys our grandmothers wore for use nor the brocades which they kept for state occasions required to be renewed every three months the chairs in our bedroom are covered with dresses of my grandmothers however it is not your fault that the age is frivolous and i can't be angry with you for following the fashion of your day i'll give you a cheque for twenty pounds and before that is gone i will arrange your allowance of pocket-money there my love don't let me see any more tears in those pretty eyes sir aubrey wrote the cheque and fancied that he had acted with supreme liberality sylvia sent half this money to mrs carford in the shape of a ten-pound note she bought a dark silk dress with the remaining ten pounds for having talked of wanting a new dress she was obliged to show sir aubrey that she had bought one shortly after this the baronet informed his wife graciously that he had decided upon allowing her two hundred a year payable quarterly for her personal expenditure and this he evidently considered a most liberal allowance sylvia thanked him warmly and was indeed grateful for anything which should be hers without question all her dreams of refurnishing the library and replacing the faded curtains in the saloon with amber satin were quite over she knew that in sir aubrey she had found a new master it was a more exalted bondage than her servitude to her father but it was bondage all the same End of chapters thirty one and thirty two